Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, uh, something that I enthusiastically use throughout my day and it's something that we are ever so fortunate to be able to partner with for um, six or seven years now. So tip of the hat to them and Bud, let's uh, jump into a, it's not going to be exclusively recruiting, certainly be recruiting focused. Uh, You've had a chance to get back out on the road and I know you saw an absolute ton of talent recently. So we're certainly going to lean heavy on your uh, thoughts, observations, and opinions from that. Got a bunch of listener questions to go through. This is fun. I really enjoyed our most recent podcast. Let's jump into it, see where it goes. Let's do it, man. I, I, this is a, it's a fast-moving show. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. Probably should start, though, with uh, with spring football. Uh, kicked off today. Coach Mike Morvell and Kenny Dillingham had some things to say. Obviously, a whole lot of it's coach speak, so we'll just try to cut through the coach speak here. Are, are there any things that really that they said that, that caught your ear and listened to it and watched that press conference? I mean, the Darius Washington talk, and, and, that, and that's kind of the obvious stuff, but if he's really... Uh, the most transformed player on your team and made some of the advancements in the weight room that he's talked about. I mean, that is a, any flexibility you get as far as moving other guys inside or higher level of confidence as to what you get out of your tackle position is something I'm here for. Uh, we're going to have to see, but if that's the truth, then that is a pretty big storyline and something that, uh, you know, you can, you can be kind of excited about some of the opportunities it might give you. That's the one that stood out to me too, right? Like that, that's a position that FSU, failed to address in the transfer portal and uh, whether they're able to get somebody to come in. I know we have a listener question about that later in the show, uh, but whether they're able to get somebody to come in at that spot or you know, maybe they're able to uh, to have Darius Washington really step up there and make an impact at tackle. Uh, you know, wasn't very good last year. I know it was coming off an injury and they said, look, this is kind of his first real spring he's had that, that wasn't impacted by injury. And I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, really excited to see what he could do there. Um, also said Mackenzie Milton was basically competent, you know, kind of kind of knew what he was doing. He's still learning the offense, but he, he understands that the, the route concepts and, and that type of stuff is is pretty similar, which is interesting because it's actually there's some real differences between what what McKenzie was running there at UCF and what what the Knowles run. But I, I think he's a pretty smart guy and should be able to pick that up. So uh, I am expecting him to be to be QB one uh, when they announce it, though. I believe Kenny Dillingham said it would play itself out. That's not really a timeline, <laughs> so we'll have to see. Uh, have to see what what happens there as far as when uh, or if that is announced. Also, uh, looks like Amari Gaynor is going to be playing more on the inside, a little more traditional linebacker role. I know that's something you've you've kind of been a fan of. It's just something that I have long thought was going to be the case. Ultimately, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people have been. Uh, fascinated. It's too strong of a word, but eager uh, at the idea of seeing what that kid at, at Fox looks like. I've always been skeptical, both in how that would translate and if the kid wanted to actually, you know, do that and get a little more engaged on the line of scrimmage. So, you know, hopefully that gives him the ability to stay on the field a little bit more. Certainly has the athletic ability to not feel like he's a, a liability in coverage and, and some more uh, passing downs, and and maybe that would help. Him, uh, you know, obviously the kid's one of the more fluid, explosive athletes uh, on the roster, at least based off what you saw last year, a lot of ability and whatever you can do to get him a little bit more comfortable and maybe keep him on the field. I would think that's probably a step in the right direction. I would agree with that. I mean, I feel like Amari just has a lot of, of quick twitch athleticism and yet they've, 
they've not really been able to find a way to, to get him to maximize that in the game while, while also minimizing his resources. I don't know. Like, I wasn't really sure if we should do a spring preview type thing. I, I kind of want to just do maybe a, a check-in after they've been in pads for a week, talk to some folks, you know, get out there and see some practices and, uh, and just kind of give you my opinion on, on, on what they look like. On cover three, we did kind of take some questions about, you know, maybe what, what they're looking for in spring and uh, basically got to figure out if they can pass block, got to figure out if the receivers still suck, uh, you know, and have to see how fast Mackenzie Milton can integrate himself into this offense, despite the fact that, hey, pass protection last year was really bad. Jordan Travis hit a lot of that stuff due, due to using play action and due to his the, the threat of his legs, which Mackenzie Milton does not present in the same way. Uh, and the fact that opposing offenses really didn't have to respect these receivers and FSU did not develop them very, very well. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to be a major focus. And then obviously on defense, um, I would say getting everybody to understand what plays are being run and like making sure you don't have underneath bus quite as much and getting your eyes in the right spot. Also increased competition, which is probably one of the main reasons why you brought in transfers, you know, like Robinson and, and more and McClellan. So that's kind of my, my early take on, on spring ball. You want to get to a little recruiting or you got, you got more spring. No, I don't really have anything else. I mean, uh, uh, like I said, or like you said, I think it's best that we let this uh, breathe a little bit and get some observations after we get a chance to talk to people a week or so into it. I, I'm not belittling anybody that did a preview series or anything like that, but I just, you know, there's only so much as to what you can really talk about as to what you're going to learn from uh, something like that. And why don't we let it let it go for a little bit and certainly try to give our listeners the best idea that we can as to what's transpired before we jump more into what you personally witnessed and <clears throat> some of the things you've seen in central and, and uh, South Florida recently. Uh, let's talk about quarterbacks real quickly. Uh, kind of news of the day. I don't know. I don't know if he outright said leader and if he did bud, correct me. I think his dad said that Florida state was the one that he was the most in touch with and had kind of a relationship with Dillingham that's extended all the way uh, now, but kid out of Atlanta here, Pace Academy, uh, Morse. It sounds like he's going to make a decision, what, either first of May or end of May, uh, as to where he's going to commit. And, and Florida State sounds like they're very much in the thick of it. Yeah. So MJ Morris up there by you and, uh, four star rated quarterback. I think he, I think he actually did name FSU as leader. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, Zach Blostein, who I hung out with this weekend down in Miami. Uh, they've been consistent this whole time. I've probably talked to Coach Mike Ravel, Atkins, and Dillingham, at least one of them, uh, at, at least once or twice a day. My parents love the whole coaching staff, so that's why I would say they're my leader right now. Yeah, uh, that's that's encouraging. I was reading an interview of his dad, who was a little bit more ambiguous. But no, that is that is most definitely the kid uh, declaring you as a leader. Same high school as uh, Matthew Cleveland, the five-star basketball prospect uh, as well, just for those who keep track of such things. Really nice, uh, great school in Atlanta, and a school that's gotten – a little more athletically inclined over the last 15 years or so. Uh, a lot of, yes, they have. A lot of things, if you walk around campus, are, are named Arthur, Arthur Blank and various other <laughs> members of the Blank family, and I'm sure that's helped athletics take a good step forward. No doubt about it. So 6'1", 175, like you said, from Pace. Uh, I've not seen him in person, uh, but uh, maybe he'll be down there at the Elite 11 Orlando, which I will be, be at uh, this weekend on Sunday. Look, so l- looking at the overall quarterback landscape, we were pretty honest with everybody. Not pretty honest. We were as honest as we could be with everybody 
about the Duffy situation. FSU's done a good job recruiting Duffy. We also think that Arizona State is the real leader with Duffy and that he probably left Arizona State off of his top four because he was angry that people figured out he was going to Arizona State and dropped their crystal balls in there by talking to, you know, whatever, private quarterback coaches or whomever would, would you know, maybe leak that stuff. That's your job to do as a reporter to, you know, figure out where the guy's going. And we have seen this before with kids leaving the school they're actually going to likely pick out of their top four. Now, that was like a month ago. It doesn't mean that A.J. Duffy couldn't pick Florida State. It doesn't mean that FSU has not done a good job recruiting him, because I think they really have. And they certainly want to take two quarterbacks in this class. It probably helps them a little bit that uh, Nico Marchio got dropped to three stars. That way, he's a little bit less intimidating. If you are a quarterback potential commit to see the commit list and say, oh, that kid's a three-star, I'm a four-star, no threat, right? Where we know Nico has some challenges, but also some upside and some ability. But Morris is probably the more realistic target. That would be a pretty decent quarterback haul for them. I don't know that I love locking up two quarterbacks this early because once in a while guys do emerge late, but QB recruiting is an early recruiting game. You, you, I mean, we, we just saw Brian Doan. I think only, uh, only six quarterbacks in the country rated four stars or higher are currently uncommitted. So that's, that's a fairly big deal. No, it's a big deal. Maybe I'm just being. <clears throat> simplistic and and letting my Atlanta show in me, but I, I would I would feel much more comfortable about a kid from Arizona and a kid from Atlanta committed as opposed to two kids from Arizona uh, and and hoping to ride that out and see what that looks like. Uh, so uh, I think Morris would be a fantastic addition. And if you were to have told me, you know, four months ago that Florida State could potentially sign two kids and they would be uh, of the quality of Nico and, and Morris. Not saying not trying to blow smoke on either of them, but collectively. Uh, that's that would be a really nice class. I would agree with that. Something happened last night that that kind of led me into something I want to talk about here, and that is uh, Miami got a commitment from Cody Brown. Cody Brown is a top ten running back in the country. Uh, he's from Georgia, and he was committed to Tennessee up until Tennessee decided to basically just absolutely kneecap itself and uh, fire Jeremy Pruitt and ten other athletic department staffers, including some coaches, for allegedly for cause. And so Cody Brown was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and decommit because that's not a great situation to commit to. Hard to blame him. Cody Brown's a pretty good player. So Miami is full, as I understand it, for 2021. They went ahead and used a 2022 scholarship, I think, if, if, if I read this correctly and understood this correctly. And this was, this was a bit of discussion at the, uh, at the Under Armour camp um, on Cody Brown. So they basically borrowed one from next year on, on Cody Brown. And I'm not so interested in the mechanics of this, Ingram, but I am interested in sort of what that says, that Miami went out there and took a, a running back from Georgia, who's a 2021 kid, and why why would they do that as opposed to taking somebody from in the state? And and this was a broader discussion I was having with some folks down there in, in Miami, um, you know, because I, I live up here in Orlando, and they're down in their Miami and they're asking me like, Hey man, like you guys got any, like no doubt, like stud backs up there. And I was like, no, we don't. And they're like, yeah, man, down here, same deal. And I know Andrew Ivins and I were talking about, about this on the, on the 24 seven sports football recruiting podcast. If you don't count the IMG kids who are from out of state and I don't, because usually those guys are going to head back out to their, their original home region. So far, this looks like 
probably the worst year for skill position talent. So receivers and backs in the state of Florida that I can remember, man. And I've been doing this for, what, 13, 14 years now? This is a long, long time. There's not difference makers. Yeah, yeah. Been doing it a long time. I had somebody who's been doing this for a real long time in the state of Florida say, say a similar similar sentiment. Uh, it's it's kind of wild. I guess it's just one of those things that happens every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, a state that's normally, you know, shake the trees and, and uh, you know, wildly talented backs and particularly wide receivers tend to fall out, but uh, not this year. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bizarre. I mean, Bama, Bama came into the state last year to take three receivers. Like there were three receivers in the state last year who went to Alabama who were top 100 national prospects. I'm at some of these events. At 2023 receivers, love them. Stud class. 2022 receivers and backs, man, there's very few guys. Like, there's like nobody out there right now in, in that class who I'm looking at who FSU's on. And I'm like, man, that's a difference maker for them. There's a couple kids where I'm like, yeah, he could play for FSU, but like, is he actually an upgrade over what you have on your roster? I don't see it. Just being honest with you guys, like, I'm out there seeing these dudes. I have a general idea of, of what these kids look like, especially at those positions. When they make a real big impact, and I'm, I'm not seeing it so far. I think there's a reason you're seeing FSU offer so many receivers and backs from out of state, right? They're offering the Castellanos kid from Georgia. You already have a receiver commitment from Arkansas, who at this point is is still committed, despite some, you know, Twitter kerfuffle. Uh, and Ingram, not gonna, like like this kind of sucks, man, for for the Knowles because this is a year they did need to load up. And I'm going to get to some positive stuff in a second, so don't don't turn us off. But this is a year they wanted to take two backs and still might. Although I think I'd probably go transfer portal for one and you know, be able to pitch playing time to a, a kid in 23 who's actually a stud. You know, this is the year they wanted to take probably four receivers. And there's just, I'm not seeing it so far. Like maybe, maybe there'll be some other kids emerge. It's certainly possible. We still have a couple more camps and a couple more seven on seven stuff in, in the state, but. It's not good. It's, I just don't remember it being this bad. Like they, they're on the Glover kid who I got to see this weekend and he's fine, but I don't look at him and say like, yeah, he's a no doubt starter for FSU or I don't look at him and say, yeah, he's an upgrade over Corbin or Toa Philly or anything like that. Like this is Norvell's real big recruiting class. He's trying to put together and I'm not seeing available players at these positions who are up who are significant upgrades at least over what you have. Right? Like Glover, he's kind of built like Adam Lane was, the, the guy at a Winter Haven who signed with with UF in 2013. Also, you know, allegedly pooped his pants in the bowl game, that that guy, but not a bad player out of high school. Just you know, is he a difference maker at a school like FSU? I I don't know. Not not totally based on what I saw. All right, you have to give me a second to process that reference that you just hit me with. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the guy you were talking about? That? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just didn't. <laughs> I love alleged. When you said allegedly, that uh, I wasn't necessarily where I knew we were going. But uh, okay, so real quickly before we get to some of the kids you see, uh, you've seen um, Florida State. While we're on the subject of wide receivers, offered the uh, Devon Mortimer kid out of Dillard as well. Um, it'd be great to sign. Uh, kid with that last name, if nothing else, for all the trading places references that some of our uh, some of the old Florida State fans could make online at this point, uh, it's kind of date myself. But 
I mean, look, the kids, uh, Dillard only, I think, played six or seven games last year, and he was pretty productive. Uh, evidently posted some really impressive hundred times as a sophomore. Uh, is that uh, not that that's not a true offer? It certainly looks like it is. But do you think that is maybe a cha- uh, an attempt to help yourself with the uh, Kelly recruitment, who he has a decommitted, but certainly seems to be listening intently to what Miami has to say at this point? Uh, a guy who's a solid prospect, not necessarily a you know a national prospect, and and kind of one of these part of this wide receiver class that has its strengths, but doesn't have a you know all around well rounded star. I uh, just wanted to get your opinion on that offer and, and what it might mean. So a couple things. First, uh, about the player uh, with, with Mortimer. He is very fast, like legitimate track guy. And look, FSU's receiving core. I mean, who is, who's your burner? Keyshawn Helton? No. Like Ontario Wilson? No. McLean and, and definitely not Burrell, the, the, the two guys you just signed. I, I don't think you have a lot of speed in this receiving core right now. Corey Wren, I know, can play some receiver for you. I don't think you have much speed in this receiver core right now. So I understand the offer, uh, especially in the context of what you and I just talked about, which is that this is probably the worst receiver back year combined in a long time in the state, at least based on who we've seen so far. It's just not not great. So you look around, you see what you can get. You're like, all right, well, there's a kid with with very good speed. He's a good return man as well. Let's Let's go ahead and offer him. At least he has a tool in his speed that we can work with. I mean, he's tiny, but he's got, he's got some juice and we, 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 we can go ahead and find, find a role for that. Now that he is teammates with Nigel Lee Kelly probably doesn't hurt, right? Nigel Lee Kelly comes out there is named the alpha dog by 24 seven sports at the Miami Under Armour camp. Just look, it, it's, it's a couple of things. He has the look of a guy, by the way, there were some questions like, would he kick inside? I, I don't think so. He's he's not that wide, but he is deep. If that makes sense, like he's got like 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 a, a, a sprinter's build, you know, but thighs like a powerful sprinter's build. But he's not super wide. He's just kind of deep and long. Uh, and so I, I think he has has the profile of somebody. Remember, like Tank Caradine. Now he's not Tank big right now, but if you look at Tank in high school. He was, he was not that wide, right? Like he was long and he eventually became a very nice player for the Knowles. Nigel Kelly dominated. He is, you know, hearing from a lot of other schools and, and I expect him to become a pretty big national prospect. We gave him a bump up to, to 134. I know on 24 seven sports, which is way higher than, than the other places have him. Um, I expect they'll follow us, by the way. And, and, and I, I think we could even go higher on the guy. He was dominant. Uh, FSU, my guys at FSU, that staff thinks he's a top 100 guy. And I think they were probably going to end up being proven right here. It's not a bad offer. If you have a normal state of Florida year, I don't know. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. But you have to work with what you have to work with. I will say, if we can go a little positive here, tell you what. First of all, let's start off being positive. Happy anniversary to Shannon. Shannon Young, best loan guy in the business for my money. Of the legendary home loan team, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Shannon is out in the West right now celebrating his 15th year anniversary. And so congrats to Shannon. Chad is, is, is handling, handling got, got the Fort Holt held down there. So awesome job. 844-FSU-LOAN. Loans continue to pour in. And we're extremely excited about that. 
longtime supporters of the show. We really look forward to continuing to work with them in the future. So give them a call if you need a loan or a refi. You want to talk positive offensive tackle stuff? Please. Yeah, give us your opinion as to one or two prospects in particular that you had a chance to look at down there. Yeah, man. So uh, Julian Armella shows up, and he's a kid I've kind of been up and down on, right? As a freshman, I was extremely impressed. I saw him at the FBU ninth grade game, and I was like, damn, this dude's got some serious length. He's not fat. He moves pretty well. I thought, you know, honestly, last year when I saw him, he was he was a little bit bulky and maybe not in a good way. He shows up on Sunday at the Under camp, and I'm like, whoa, you lost like a third grader. He told me, yeah, I went from 330 to 285. I mean, look, kids exaggerate this stuff all the time. I don't have his official weigh-in from the event yet. I will tell you, he looked noticeably slimmer and more athletic, which I think he's a tackle. Last year, I kind of was like, I don't know if this guy's a guard, and he's definitely not the number six player in the country like, like another service had him. You know, I, I, I thought where we had him was, was probably more, more accurate based on, on his athletic profile at that weight and, and how he played. He moved around pretty well on Sunday. You know, got, got beat a couple times, but also had a couple wins. He actually kicked inside and played some guard and center. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he could also do that at the next level. Uh, but I'm, I'm more encouraged about his profile as a player. FSU continues to recruit him pretty hard. Obviously, he's a legacy um, and somebody that I think, uh, you know, Florida and Miami would also want pretty bad. Uh, also in his top seven, I think, is like LSU, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, but but I'm really not sure where he is on on the board of those schools. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't have as good of a feel. I'm pretty sure the in-state schools would 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 take him whenever he wants to commit. Uh, but he wants to take this thing, I believe, uh, to signing day and commit uh, on ESPN. So honestly, the longer it goes, I think the more it favors the Knowles, or more it favors the in-state schools at least, because other schools might might fill up. Uh, the other guy to, to talk about here is Dr. Richardson, guy who played for Godby at one point. Now he's down there at Miami Central. Just keeps getting better. Long, athletic dude, you know, 6'5", pretty lean, moves well. Technique is getting better. I have a crystal ball in for him. I know Alex Atkins has done a really good job recruiting him. They, they, they click. And, man, you, you get Armella and Daughtry to go along with, with you know, maybe a Charlton or a Woody, or or any of those other other big Georgia guards that they're in on. FSU needs to load up on quality offensive linemen, guys who you could see make an impact in in year two of their college careers. Dude, this is a good year for this, and it's a good year in the state of Florida and in South Georgia. We we, we just got to be negative about the you know how a lot of these receivers and, and running backs don't look like they belong at FSU, or definitely don't look like they'll be impact guys. This offensive line class that they're in on. They, they got some guys who are pretty good players. Yeah, no, Richardson's always been an interesting uh, kid to follow. I think hit Florida State with the uh, the old term dream offer when it was first extended, uh, you know, eight or nine months ago. So somebody that's uh, open to the message, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you judge him to be a, a prospect that continues to improve and continues to kind of sharpen his game. I, I think, uh, Look, I, I think you've, you know, like we've talked about in general, the class and it's true at offensive line. You've got a couple of things in your, in your favor, a couple of advantages. See if you can take, you know, take advantage of, of some of these uh, friendly beneficiaries of, of luck that you seem to have received, whether it be legacy or 
move-ins, what have you. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, it's fun to sit here and talk about <laughs> legitimately the prospect of Florida State legitimately kind of loading up uh, on quality offensive linemen and, you know, being able to fully address a position that is needed addressing since, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, probably since 2015 or 16. And look, I mean, if, if you're Mike Norvell, you come, for, you come to FSU. And you're like, awesome, man. I cannot believe the skill talent we all recruit here. I'm, I'm in the state of Florida. And you look at it, and you're like, you got to be shitting me. This is what we got in the state this year? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and this is not just an FSU thing. I guarantee you the other schools are, are, are kind of thinking this too. It's like, ugh, man, Florida, huh? But on the flip side, you've had a bad offensive line for like the last five years. Now you got a chance to, to flip this thing around. I mean, you're 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 doing a, a, a pretty nice job here recruiting it. Alex Atkins connects with these kids well, and based on what we saw, I think kind of made chicken salad last year. They they weren't good pass protecting, but they were better a little bit, and they also they also hid things pretty well. So like this is this is a solid thing, and it's not just on one side of the ball because I have some I have some good news on the other side of the ball which is something I didn't have two podcasts ago when we talked about D-Tackle. You remember that? Yeah, we expressed uh, some concern about where that was going to come from, uh, both from an in-state perspective and overall. What'd you see? So, um, kind of neat stuff here. Pretty nice-looking prospect, probably 6'3 and a half, maybe 6'4. Moves pretty well, still refining, but Odell Higgins and him have, have, have clicked, and, uh, and, and Odell's doing a nice job on him, as well as, uh, I believe, Clint. Who's one of their assistants there? Nice looking prospect, man, and and somebody who, who you think could come in and, and, and really help FSU. Maybe not year one, but but probably you know a dude who it's not that crazy to project could be an impact player in year two. So nice start off there. Obviously, all all the in-state schools are talking to Daniel Lyons, but uh, he's certainly not one of these guys who just instantly wants to head out of state. The other kid, though, I think is really interesting here. His name is Bishop Thomas. And I'm going to, like long-time listeners of the show or long-time followers of FSU Recruiting, I'm going to throw a name out here and see if you guys recall. Do you remember the name Niall Lawrence Stample? <laughs> yeah. So some of the, some of my favorite high school film of all time, a, a kid that was, what, like 5'11 and a half, 300 pounds, playing middle linebacker. It was, uh, it was brilliant, brilliant to watch. He's got some juice, man. I I, I I think I'm friends with Niall on Facebook or, or, or Instagram. I, I, I know he's, he seems like he's doing pretty well. And I, I don't think he's playing pro ball anymore. But uh, anyway, like Bishop Thomas, this kid who plays for Bishop Moore, he transferred, I believe, midseason. I had not heard about him um, and had not seen him in person. He's not the tallest guy, but he's incredibly explosive. And to me, looks looks like a no-doubter uh, as far as the guy that, his FSU quality based on the film. He's also playing tight end. They're throwing him passes. The short area quickness is really good. He's an explosive and violent finisher. Uh, moves laterally pretty well. Like this is the kid I was referring. This the trend or the kid from St. Augustine. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing, right? So Coach Yak, David Johnson, who you know is obviously one of Florida State assistant coaches. He was a high school coach with Leonard Fournette at St. Augustine High School. So. St. Augustine High School. Oh, that's right. That's where <laughs> that's where Bishop Thomas went. Bishop Thomas is now at Bishop Moore in Florida. You know who else is really tight with Bishop Thomas? His former high school teammate, 
Byron Turner, defensive end out of New Orleans, who the Knowles signed last year. Uh, and FSU did indeed offer Thomas, I believe, last Tuesday or, or last Wednesday. But I, I can tell you that basically all my friends who are in scouting all kind of found out about the kid on the same day. And then like the next day, he blew up. So I think his film came out, actually, is probably what happened. Anyway, uh, I think with Coach Yak, with FSU's positional need, with the relationship that uh, that he has with Byron Turner, I think this is a spot where Florida State has a lot of advantages here and certainly something that I wasn't feeling that great about two weeks ago and things can and do change. So take all that receiver running back talk we just had and, you know, should any of these current running backs that you're talking to be takes, et cetera, maybe some of these guys will, will explode and emerge in the offseason or maybe Ingram will find some new guys to come out of nowhere in the offseason. But D-tackle uh, recruiting looks to be looking up a little bit. Good. Good to hear it. Uh, good, you know, good for Florida State to get a break or two on the recruiting trail and good to see that theme kind of carry over to the uh, interior of the defensive line as well. Uh, we'll talk about linebackers real quickly. Got a couple names that we want to kind of shoot through and then uh, we'll move into a couple other things uh, as far as recruiting and then list your questions. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about a couple of these guys. The first is Demario Tolan. Uh, DeMar Tolan is from uh, Tehopa, uh, sorry, Tehopa Kagila. I think I nailed that. High school down there in Kissimmee. We'll see where he ends up at. You know, it, it is transfer season after all uh, for, for high schoolers. He's a dude who uh, has posted some very impressive times for a linebacker body in the 110 meter hurdles. And if she likes him a whole lot, so do a lot of other schools. I know Georgia has been a recent offer. Uh, Miami, I think, I think, UF offered, but I'm not sure on that. I know Auburn did. Anyway, uh, he, uh, he, a couple days ago said that Florida State is the school recruiting him hardest. FSU fans were obviously very happy about this. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we did get a chance to speak with him. This is a VIP article, so I'm not going to give it all away, uh, up on, on Nulls 24 7. However, um, he did say that he probably is going to drop like a top eight at the end of the school year. And I asked him, like, is there a couple schools you know that uh, that would make your top eight? You know, I don't need all of them, but just anybody who's already done done enough. And he actually said that uh, Miami was the school there. Maybe a little bit of work to do. That that you know, FSU's recruiting him the hardest, but maybe Miami is in the best best spot with him. So I don't know. I guess Miami's had better linebacker play in recent years. And I, I can understand that. Got to think, though, I mean, that's kind of Orlando area. And Chris Marv recruits Orlando, and he's the linebacker's coach. I think DeMario Tolan is, is somebody that, that you, you expect him to land, unless like a Bama or Georgia were to really pull, you know, turn on the heat. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. You know, and I think uh, well, there's just the jury's out on individual coaches, and, and we're still getting a feel for, uh, obviously, it's real, maybe easier to assess the strengths and, and kind of get a feel for who could do what on the trail. That'll be a good barometer as to uh, a relationship and whether or not that can ultimately be cultivated. Let's see, Jaron Willis, Omar Graham, or two other names, uh, the linebacker position we wanted to talk about. Th- those two. And, and then uh, Wesley Besaint. So Besaint is, is a stud uh, just no doubter in my, my opinion moves extremely well. I think he looks really like where the line, like where the linebacker position is going as far as being able to 
to cover and be able to run in space and we'll, we'll worry about the hitting later. Not that he's not a hitter. He's just, he's not real big. Uh, Jerron Willis kind of in the same, same boat there. Uh, FSU's doing, doing a pretty good job with the Saints. I think most people at this point do expect him to go to Miami, but FSU's, you know, staying alive in that battle. Jerron Willis is somebody that FSU, I think is a, uh, a, a good position for, but they're not the only one doing a good job. And then uh, Omar Graham is, is an interesting player. I know FSU likes Omar Graham a lot. I think they like him more than I do personally. Uh, his film is interesting. He's a he's an aggressive downhill guy who has some nice speed as far as triggering downhill. You know, I, I had some questions about his length. I think he's like six foot flat, which is not unacceptable, but it's not ideal. And also his ability to move laterally, right, and, and ability to you know move backwards and and to cover. I don't know. Like I, I, there were some things this weekend that I liked, and then maybe some things that I, I wasn't blown away by. Uh, I think he's trying to commit over the summer, and you know, look, I'm just saying this is a year that FSU needs to get linebacker uh, needs to get it right if it's if it's going to flip that linebacker room, and and they need to go after the guys they think fit their system. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see where Graham ends up. Certainly a, a good player. Just. You know, is he somebody who's going to be a a difference maker and a likely starter for the Knowles? Uh, we'll we'll go ahead and see. It's something that I hadn't necessarily planned on uh, on putting into the show, but wanted to ask you about. But I, I've got a friend of mine here who works in the the seven on scene, and uh, he was talking to me about this event that I, I kind of immediately associated with. Oh, well, maybe that's just like a evolution of the process tied to COVID or COVID. A little bit of engine, uh, just a new idea as to how to get kids to see camps, uh, see campuses, coaching staffs, et cetera. And then the more I thought about it and some of the numbers that I heard, maybe not. Maybe it's just a way uh, to get a large number of kids involved. But uh, uh, I know I'm kind of long-winded and trying to stab at something verbally here that's hard to put a finger on. But You're long-winded? Yeah, I know. This is uh, <laughs> This is me here. All right. So the idea that I heard was somewhere around like 800 kids, maybe, <laughs> maybe going through like a virtual junior day up here. And it's something that Florida State, uh, according to the guy I talked to, is participating in. I don't know if I just wasted everybody's time with 90 seconds of me trying to describe something that you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, it sounded as though the, the some of the larger players in the state of Georgia, uh, when it comes to recruiting, are involved and in just trying to give kid a glimpse. Uh, uh, different ideas to campuses and then almost like a movie theater shuttling through uh type uh, of event. So have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I, I heard about this. I think it's kind of smart, right? So you're putting together either, I don't know if it's a video or if it's like a live performance. Um, I'm guessing it's probably video done just based on uh, what, what I think it would work like, but I was told it's, it, you, you get a bunch of different schools Kids come, you get a bunch of like conference rooms or, or at a movie theater or something. Obviously, I don't know what Georgia's COVID regulations are. Do you guys have COVID regulations up there? Not that I'm aware of. I don't, I don't think, well, I mean, I, I may be wrong, but I, I'm not aware of uh, anything from the state really at this point. You, you get kids or six or eight conference rooms or whatever. And the kids over the span of a couple hours get to go to a couple different presentations. You come in there and, and, and the video rolls. I don't know how long how long it is or maybe it's live it's kind of a neat idea though right like you get a whole bunch of kids from from metro atlanta 
they come, they pick the schools. They think they're probably interested. They, they, they sign in, they have a chance to learn. And, uh, it's, it's certainly a lot cheaper than, than having to travel everybody down. Now, obviously you'd want to get guys on your campus if you could. Right now you, you can't due to NCAA regulations, or at least you can't have it. Uh, you can't, you can't have them doing it, you know, in person with your coaches in person, but this is kind of smart. So FSU seems to have embraced a lot of the like digital communication stuff. And I, I think you're doing a pretty good job with that. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, speaking of Daughtry, man, like he will post some very forward FSU edits. You notice that? Like the, the one where they were congratulating him on, on winning the MVP of the Under Armour camp. That looked like a commit edit almost. And he's like, yep, putting it up. Right. And some kids don't like some kids don't want to put that stuff out there because they don't, it looks, you know, too much like a commitment edit. But, but he posted that. I guarantee if you're Alex Atkins, you're like, that's great. You know, like that, that's a good sign. The kid is willing to put out the FSU logo. If you're recruiting him that forward, like, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about the fact that a lot of people use that kind of as a barometer as to, uh, you know, how involved you are, or maybe if kids that you have committed aren't necessarily otherwise doing that, it's a, it's just a, gives you a good feel for things or another way to get a barometer as to where you are in a kid's recruitment. All right. So I, I promise you guys that, that the, the receiver's, in 2023 are much better and they are. There's no doubt. We, I think a lot of you guys know who Brandon Ennis is. He's dominated the scene for a long, long time. He's just one of these guys who, you know, he kills it as an eighth grader and you're like, all right, cool. Like maybe he's one of these kids just developed earlier than everybody else. And maybe that's true, but he seems like he keeps developing. So Brandon Ennis certainly a name to know. I, I got two more names for, for you to know that FSU's offered. Uh, the first one being Amari Borden, who plays, I think he's at what, Bainbridge? Uh, Got a chance to see him in person for the first time. His seven-on coach has been hyping him up for me quite a bit, and uh, he, I think he lived up to the hype. Six foot three, one eighty, can go get it, and also has pretty nice body control. Caught the ball well. The other guy is a dude who can fly. Uh, his name is Santana Fleming, South Florida kid, and he's just got that classic South Florida speed, man. Just, just easy, easy gear. And uh, two guys I know that FSU has offered and uh, and who are high on the Knowles and, and if she's off to a good start with. So yeah, might not kill it in receiver recruiting this year, just based on what's available. 2023, I think FSU, uh, especially if they have a nice year throwing the football in 2021 on the season, could have a pretty nice year in 2023 recruiting. That's a lot of year numbers I just threw at you guys. Uh, sorry about that. All right, man. So, uh, you know, as we're, we try not to stay in y'all's ear about, we certainly referenced that we've done this for a little while and that's been great. But some of my favorite things about Doing this, uh, besides getting to talk about a, you know, maybe one of my favorite topics in the world, uh, frequently and telling other people in my life that I must consume all sorts of media and otherwise uh, stuff about it. But, uh, it's just great when you hear, hear a, you know, individual interaction, whether it be one of our listeners and, you know, you bumping into somebody at the gym or a sponsor, uh, running into somebody who listens to the show or mentions how they, found their product because of the show, but not necessarily a shout out, but a, just a story to relay. Uh, Zach, a loyal NOLCast listener, sitting there working uh, working at a bar in Rosemary Beach and sits there and is all of a sudden talking to one Matt Thompson. And it's great to, you know, it's great for Matt to hear that people are listening to the podcast and associating our product with it, but uh, said that he's a big Madison social fan in large part because the NOLCast and Zach we tip our hat to you and we thank our friends at Madison Social. Um, we want to point out that March 17th is the biggest 
uh, of the 17th is a big day of every month, of course, because of Reuben Salmon. But March 17th is the biggest of all the Rubens. It's the St. Patty's Day Reuben special. Uh, give it a look. It is uh, one of the best things that they do. And the St. Patty's version of it is uh, just even that much better. Oh, they're bringing us back. Yes. Dude, we, we might have to get up for up, up there for that. that that's, that's pretty awesome. Please go check that out. Zach, that is excellent word of mouth advertising, man. Look at that. That, that is like, that's a testimonial right there to the guy who owns the restaurant that sponsors us. Like that's checks in the mail, baby. <laughs> oh man. Uh, you want to get to listener questions? Most of these come from our Patreon listeners. Uh, being a Patreon is not a, or being a patron is not a guarantee that your question will get read on the air. Uh, but uh, it does bump you to the front of the line as long as we think it's a good question. So uh, Hunter leads us off with the first question of the night. Random off-season thought experiment. You can add two players from offense and defense, four players total from any Florida State team of all time to the current team. Who, why does your expectation, does your win expectations change at all and by how much? Love the content as always. I go for Ward, uh, Jones, the offensive tackle Jones, then Ramsey, and either uh, Burns or Croy Simon along the defensive line. Uh, yeah, those are all great options to choose from, uh, but I'll let you go first on this one. All right, so we need to set some ground rules, buddy. Are we getting like, are we getting the level of the player? Well, I mean, first of all, I think we just need to choose three people. Okay. Because every, I mean, Jones is the easiest in, of all of these, I think, and probably the one that immediately jumps to mind. Yeah, we're both taking Walter Jones. I mean, you could maybe go Trey Thomas, but. I'm taking Walter Jones. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, we're getting their level of play relative to the competition at the time, right? Like, if you take Ron Sellers, Ron Sellers' speed and stuff, that doesn't play in today's game because he was 50 years ago, right? Like, we're getting, like, that level of dominance relative to the competition, and it counts towards today's game, correct? I would. I think that's how we'd have to Because otherwise, yeah. we, we need, we, I think we, like, we need to all pick guys, you know, from, like, the last 10 years otherwise. Because, like, training has come that far. Like, would Ron Simmons play well in today's game? Probably not, just at that size. Like, like that's, like, so much... Like, I know he was undersized at times, but, I mean, that's, like, so much more undersized now. So, I think we should we should play this. Like, if you pick Dion, Dion's, like, the best corner in the nation by a lot. Agree. That, that, that type of logic. Does that make sense? So, I think this makes it a lot more interesting. Uh, so, we're going Walter Jones for sure. I think you have to take Jameis. I know, like, we think McKenzie's going to be good, but he also hadn't played ball in two years. You're getting a Heisman Trophy winner at the most important position on the field. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take Jameis. It's tough to go any other direction. I mean, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to give some counter counter thought. I'm, I've never wanted not love to throw the name Dalvin Cook out in any conversation. I would give that serious thought, but hard to hard to pass over the best quarterback to ever ever take the ball from center. And I don't know that you could go anywhere else. The next two for me are tough because there's three positions where I really want to go. All right, you know what? I, I got to do it. If, if we're having legitimate talks that Jordan Travis is the most dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands and he's a quarterback, that's a problem. Give me Peter Work, a guy that for not you know if, if not for Dillard's is probably a Heisman winner at the receiver position. I I, I think I think you really need a, a dynamic playmaker on the outside here. So go ahead go ahead and give me Pete up. So is this? Are you taking two offensive, two defensive, or are you sacrificing? Oh shoot, I messed it up, we just, didn't I? 
Well, no, not yeah. necessarily. Not necessarily. I, no, I screwed it up. You're right. No, that that's that's an interesting point. Would you rather have P Dub or would you rather have Jameis? Or would you? I mean, I mean, screw it. I, you can sacrifice. Let's just say it's four or, or three uh, of, of either side of the ball or however you want to. You know, if you want to fire all three bullets on the offensive side of the ball, feel free. I guess I'll finish out mine. Go, go ahead. I, I thought about a pass rusher here, but because of the special teams nature, too, I, I am going to take Dion. Just an absolute lockdown guy. Yeah, really tough to go anywhere but Dion uh, as as both special teams guy, the maybe the best player to ever play the position. Other guy for me is probably probably Peter Bolware if I'm choosing def- two defensive players. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I mean, Bolware was insane. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of great options, but Bolware is the best pass rusher. But you do have Robert Cooper. And I'm not trying to say that Robert Cooper's on, like, you have Coop, and I'm not saying Cooper's on Simon's level, but I think they do similar things, you know? Mm-hmm. By the way, have you seen, can we interrupt? Like, I don't, we don't go off topic much in this show, right? Like, we're, we pretty much stick to sports. A, yes. Have you seen the movie that's coming out? I'm not sure as to which movie you're referencing. Elizabeth Banks to direct bear-centric thriller, Cocaine Bear for Universal. <laughs> this cocaine, cocaine bear, yeah, I didn't see The this film thing. is based on true events from uh, 1985. Based on a real event in 1985. A 175-pound yeah, yes. bear accidentally consumed over 70 pounds of cocaine that was dropped from a plane by a truck. Dude, over what time period? You're consuming 35% of your body weight in cocaine? That is, that's incredible. I have not read about this story, but like now I am definitely going to read more. Oh, did it die? I would have, I would imagine either it died. Okay. It, it's, his stomach was literally packed. Yes, to the- I was going to say, I imagine it would either die based from an overdose or the events that a bear would take uh, after having consumed 70 pounds of cocaine. I have, uh, I've enjoyed this. I've laughed harder tonight during the Nolcast than I have in, in quite a while. Uh, but I did see that earlier today and thought it was hilarious. So there's a little pack to the room. Okay. there isn't a mammal on the planet that would survive that. Cerebral hemorrhaging, respiratory failure, hyperthermia, renal failure, heart failure, stroke, you name it. The bear had it. Yeah. Okay. So folks do not consume uh, 35% of your body weight in cocaine, uh, is a pretty, there's a statue. Have you seen the statue of him with the big chain and the the the, the K hat in Kentucky? I have not seen that. No, I'll I'll no. send this to you in the uh, in the chat. That is uh, that's fantastic. All right, let's get back to what the people people ostensibly subscribe to the show for. Although, I mean, I don't know how you don't enjoy a little cocaine bear talk. I was gonna say if if, if you can't talk about cocaine bear on March the ninth and. You know, when can you? Uh, so Michael says there's a lot of hype on social media right now about games, uh, quote unquote games, and something special happening in Tallahassee. Is something special happening? Has the culture shift begun? So I don't think something is, I don't know, special. You going to go that far? Here's what I would say to that, that there's a lot of reasons uh, for optimism as to where the program's headed. And um to be excited about some of the foundation that's being laid. I would be very hesitant about uh, finding a whole lot of optimistic thought or ideas out of like, you know, weight gain or weightlifting videos. And it's great that everybody's excited for their teammates. And I'm not totally dismissing that, but that's kind of what happens when you're in a college football program. And uh, I'm not also not trying to take away like individual guys achievements. If, 
the uh, freshman out of South Carolina, the wide receiver is really squatting 455 pounds or whatever. That's a real good sign and good for him for putting in the effort to do that. He's going to be, he's going to pancakes and people, by the way, no. like I, I'm not buying the idea that Burrell's fast, but I think he is going to be a good blocker on the outside. Yeah, you can be, yeah, yeah. And he'll, I mean, you can be a explosive player who doesn't necessarily, you know, get a ton of chunk plays. Um, but I would, you know, I just, you know, you're always going to get the articles about how this is a great team and, you know, you're always going to get kind of the summer propaganda that's put out there. I think there's real reasons to be excited where the program's going. I wouldn't necessarily find them in videos taken from the weight room. Okay. So I actually am fairly positive on this. I don't know that it is special, but I, I think there is, I think there's reason for some real optimism. Um, a lot of reasons we've already gone over on this show. Most notably that they went out and they got some experienced, competent transfers. Not even necessarily good players, but just players who are okay, who can help you be an average defense or maybe an above average offense. And that's important. However, I will say this. I was worried that due to COVID, Mike Norvell's opportunity to set the tone and have his like real rah-rah year one everybody come together, everybody get that amazing buy-in. I was worried that he was going to lose that opportunity because everybody was over Zoom. And we correctly called bullshit last year on all this idea that everybody's working super hard and, and like they were having awesome weightlifting sessions over Zoom and all that stuff. I'm like, man, that's not happening. Like, we know it's not. We know really accomplished, put-together programs that aren't having that happen. It's certainly not happening here. And I was really worried that, that Mike Norvell was going to have trouble installing his culture over Zoom. And he did have trouble doing that. My secondary worry was that he was not going to be able to sort of recapture that like new coach smell energy, you know, and and infect the program with what he wants to do. And I'm pretty much over that worry. I think that he has successfully transformed this into sort of like a year one feeling as far as buy-in energy and that kind of stuff because these guys didn't have this opportunity to do so last year because they didn't have that full spring they didn't have that weightlifting together for you know very much of the offseason i think that you're having a kind of a nice combination here of dudes embracing the climb you know to, to use to use their terms and, and embracing kind of the grind of it and embracing the, the work while also for the most part, with the exception of your transfers, being pretty familiar with, with what you're running on offense and defense. And that's kind of a nice combination. I think they're able to get a pretty decent amount of stuff done this spring. So from that standpoint, I don't know if it's special, but it's certainly encouraging that I think Mike Norvell is going to be able to get his culture installed. It's a year delayed, but not really you know, his own fault. He also... Look, he also has not misspoken so far this offseason. And last year, those were some unforced errors, right? And he seems to have corrected it. I think uh, I think what you said is very true. Uh, my skepticism from the videos and taking too much away from that is not tied to as a reflection of, of your strength and condition coach. I legitimately think you've got one of the better people in the industry there and somebody that's going to be uh, pay a lot of rich dividends. So. Uh, that'll be my final comment on that question. Uh, Austin asks, with the recent momentum on the recruiting trail and even Will Fong praising defensive back commitments as the best in class, who do you think deserves the most credit? 
my choice is Woodson. He seems to really resonate with kids. And uh, any any idea why Norvell went rushing first before him? I'm not sure. You, you may have a better idea as to what he's asking that back part of the question there. Uh, TJ rushing. All right. Okay. Remember the, right. the coach yeah. who was hired for for a couple couple of weeks, and, and then A&M took him away. I don't know why he went. Why, why, why he chose rushing over Woodson? Look, I have a hard time thinking that, from a recruiting standpoint, that, that rushing would have worked out, you know, that much better than Woodson. Right? Woodson's done a really, really good job, especially with the most important recruit you've had in shoot since Jameis. That being Travis Hunter, obviously. I don't know why why he went over, uh, but I think uh, I think Woodson does deserve a lot of credit for the work with with Travis Hunter. I also think that the guy that deserves the credit for getting Sam a call, I like. I know everybody's like, I'm, I'm the primary, I'm the secondary recruiter on this stuff, and uh, no, I, I think the the guy that deserves the credit here is is Travis Hunter for getting Sam a call. But Woodson's been good now, coaching wise, the DBs looked terrible last year, so I'm not going to go overboard with the praise because they did look that bad, but. Recruiting-wise, Woodson's been great. Uh, there's really no doubt about that. We always hear positive things when we're talking to kids, and they always mention Woodson. So he's one of the best recruiters on that staff. Chris asks, which quarterback prospect would you rather have, Morris or Duffy? How do you think Florida State feels, and which is more likely at the end? So we've uh, we've talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the uh, podcast. I mean, I personally would, would rather have Morris for what I talked about uh, with two different Arizona-based quarterbacks, and hey, look, it's always great to, you know, get a kid out of Atlanta, a kid or two, and if you can get, uh, you know, Morris to help you maybe bring down a prospect from the north side of Atlanta and the Estes kid on the south side every once in a while, that can only help you when it comes to uh, recruiting in the future, and Morris is a nice prospect. I think there's a lot to work with there. Yeah, I I think ability-wise, I might prefer Duffy, but I don't know that it's by that much. I, I really... I like to see these quarterbacks in person, man. You know, it, it's this is tough it's not being able to see these guys in person yet. I am going to see the IMG kid in person probably this weekend, so I'll, I'll be able to tell you what, what what I think of Duffy a little bit more. Uh, hopefully, Morris is down there too, although he may have been at the Elite Eleven in Atlanta over the weekend. So, um, if he was, I'll, I'll talk to some of our guys at twenty four seven and see you know what they thought about him. I don't really know. I, I just. I do think it's a positive sign that that uh, despite Norvell's lack of success recruiting and, and using high school quarterbacks, that high school quarterbacks are seemingly you know, jumping at the chance to play for him. So that's very encouraging. I mean, it, like, yes, they lost they lost Luke last year, but they they got two in the prior class. They're going to get two this class. They managed to get Mackenzie Milton in the portal. But those are all good signs. Sam uh, writes, says, Tyler Hunter, definitely a DB recruiter. Could be used as a wide receiver. All the highlights that I've seen of him recently are at wide receiver. Uh, how does that impact uh, our class with his versatility? I think if you hang on to Tyler Hunter, or to, to, to Travis Hunter, he is absolutely going to play a good number of offensive snaps for you. He's just too good not to. I mean, there is, a, there is an argument, and I'm not sold on it yet, but there's an argument that he is the best corner and the best receiver in the nation. I, I think there's a scenario where you play this guy, you know, 40 snaps on offense, 40 snaps on defense each game. Mm. Yeah. 
Maybe not year one, but I think he, they are absolutely going to throw him the football and play him both ways. McCall probably could too. Like there's a pretty good chance that McCall is as good as any receiver that you're going to get in this class. How does it impact your class with diversity? Maybe it means you don't have to take quite as many receivers as you wanted to. Maybe you, maybe you take one or two fewer high school kids. You go after another one in the transfer portal and that allows you to sell a whole lot of playing time early and genuinely do so to guys like Borden and Fleming next year. Yeah. I was pulling up what, uh, what Georgia did with Champ Bailey in 1998 because it's somewhat of a similar situation. Uh, I thought they got him a few more touches. His senior year, he had 47 receptions and 16 rushes and attempted a couple passes. So I, I think you'd probably get Hunter even more involved than that, but that's uh, just something that was in the back of my mind with what Jim Donovan, uh, coach, old coach Donovan did with, uh, with a, a similar type of talent. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you do whatever you can to land Hunter and then you figure it out. And if he's the best wide receiver prospect you've signed, since you know 2010 or something like that, or or maybe longer, uh, then that's great. And if he's the best defense back you've signed, and mm, at least since Darby, uh, if not longer than that, then you know that that works out all right as well. I agree with that. All right, so now uh, we're doing go now. Okay, uh, so we want to thank our friends at Congruity, as we are want to do. Uh, been a fantastic partnership for us, and would encourage you just to reach out. Uh, talk with our friend Matt Lewis, uh, get a feel as to whether or not uh, Congruity would be uh, a good ad for your business. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. You can reach Matt at 844-247-4100 or email him at Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. Very much appreciate congruity support of the Cast. This question comes from Sam. Uh, assuming Milton is the starter next season, how quick is the hook to revert back to the Travis offense uh, of this past season? It seemed the staff was more than willing to move off from JB quickly and adjust their offense to a non-throwing quarterback last year. Do you think that will still be the case in 2021? Uh, I mean, look, there'll, there'll certainly be a longer uh, a hook. I mean, you know, you you've praised this guy. You've been super excited to get him. You know, you owe James Blackman nothing. And I'm not saying necessarily that you made all these promises to Milton, but where where I would see maybe you'd be more likely to ch- make a change from Milton is if you were to sustain multiple injuries along the offensive line and you knew you just couldn't protect him. And you had to go back to an offense where you were uh, had a moving target at quarterback and, and had to, you know, lean on some of the basically a, a you know, flared up version of the wing tee like you did this year. Uh, that's, that's my personal opinion on that. For sure. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Also, for recruiting wise, like you can't run this Jordan Travis offense again this year, right? I mean, like that's just, that's kind of a non starter. Buy or sell. FSU picks up a transfer offensive tackle who starts against the Irish. I'm going to sell just because of, of the number of other programs who are better programs right now than the Knowles are, uh, who, are also in the market for a starting tackle. Like that's that's tough. So I know they're hopeful. I know Mike Norvell said that they will still look to add more players over the summer. I'm not saying this is like 100% 0% odds, but like I don't think it's greater than 50% that they get somebody. So I'm going to sell. 
barely. Uh, I'll buy the idea that Florida State picks up someone who starts along the offensive line. Uh, I think they may uh, be a little creative with who they ultimately have to get and where they plug them in and maybe where they put other pieces. You're so, changing the question. If I can though, edit your buy or sell. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Bob, I'm going to edit your question ever so slightly uh, so that you have a little bit of a different perspective from, from Butter Eye. But a tackle, uh, yeah, I would sell that idea. Final question of the night from our uh, always interesting questions come from Kesna. Got a couple of them here. This is a pretty lengthy one here. In looking back on our 2020 season, two things stick out to me, which give me very different feelings about the potential for the 21 season. The first is that, that Norvell and Dillingham are very good coaches who are not quote unquote system guys. They know how to evaluate the talent they have determine what they do best, and implement plays that lend themselves uh, to those capabilities. I don't think Jimbo would have been able to move the ball the way we did in 2020 with the same players. When I look at Fuller, I have an almost opposite feeling. I know it was a one season and a COVID season at that, but Fuller looked like someone who is a system guy. He has a system, and regardless of if the players on the field can execute that system, he's going to run his system his way regardless and hope the players eventually get on board. I know Fuller was stuck with Jimbo's toxic players who didn't want to play hard or listen, uh, but I can't help but feel if Fuller tried to do what his players did best, the on-field results and buy-in would have been better. What are your thoughts? Okay, so several thoughts here. Um, first of all, I, I actually think that Jimbo was pretty good when he was desperate, right? Like that one year when he was the OC and he had to stick Preston um, Parker. Yeah, Parker. Parker. Basically playing Wildcat yeah. quarterback for, for a large part of the uh, of the time. Yeah, Preston Parker. I mean, some of the, the his original offenses are brilliant. I mean, what he did with Ponder a couple of those years. When, when Jimbo knew that he had to score 35 to even have a chance, he, was, um, he showed a lot of ingenuity that, like you said, uh, you know, if, if desperation wasn't there, you might not otherwise see it. I mean, Christian Ponder ran the <laughs> ran the option a good bit. I mean, Jimbo was willing to do whatever the hell had to be done. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You know, I I thought offenses were were going to be behind defenses. You know, in some ways going into the season, but I've talked to a lot of defensive coaches out there, and they're like, look, because defense is so reactionary. Like there's there's less scheme in it at times, but like we didn't get as many reps as we normally would to see who can and and can't play for us. So that that was something that that I feel like was missing. Also, it's much harder to scheme around your deficiencies on defense than it is on offense. Either you got dudes or you don't. Now I do think that that Coach Fuller and staff did not do a very good job last year. They're they're I mean I don't know they meshed all that well. As a staff together, trying to do what they want to do, it's clear some players didn't understand what they were doing. And like Keston notes, some guys just really didn't want to buy in. You had a lot more holdovers on the defensive side of the ball from Jimbo and Willie than you did on the offensive side of the ball. So I think offense was more willing to buy in. Uh, but I, I don't look. I just defense is more kind of effort, height, weight, speed. Now teamwork matters for sure. But you can scheme your way to points. I don't think you can scheme your way to stops in the same way. I just don't. Part of that's because recruiting rankings are much better on defense, so you kind of are what you are. I think there are certain things that Coach Fuller can do 
and I'm sure he'll try him this year. I, I just think they kind of ran out of time. They were trying different stuff. They, they didn't have anybody who they really felt could play that nickel position. That's why I do think going out and get Jamie Robinson, you know, even if he's not a great player or anything, like if he's at least a solid player, I think that they think putting him there to play some of that slot will, will really help them quite a bit, especially as they play more 4-2-5 this year. There's a reason Norvell went out and got Fuller, though, right? And that's because he'd worked with them before. Fuller had good results before, and I don't really think it's fair to judge Fuller based on what he did last year very much. It was a really, really weird year. I'm trying to make sure I'm missing any of these questions. This is definitely kind of long. No, I mean, I think you got to it. The only thing I'd add, and I'm not like disagreeing with you or arguing with you, but if, if recruiting ratings are what they are and they hold true bore on the defensive side of the ball, then Florida State needs to be a hell of a lot better than they've been on the back half of the defense. 100%. I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, if you're running an experiment, like you want to try to change one thing at a time so you can figure out how that new variable impacted the results. And I think that he was sort of, you know, I think he was kind of running out of time to figure out what everybody on his defense could and couldn't do in certain roles. And then they thought they had one thing plugged and then something else would, would, would kind of spring a league. And, and it was, it was difficult. I mean, this is an important year. There's no doubt for coach Fuller. If they, if they suck again, I mean, if they are, what were they last year? Now, look, do you trust SP plus from last year? I know the, the connectivity was an issue because you had teams playing five games, some teams playing 10 and the lack of interconference stuff. But, but even so, I mean, they were 85th in SP plus defense last year. You know, this is a team that was quite honestly lucky to go three and six. It was more of like a, you know, it was more of like kind of a, a two and seven level team. If they're anywhere close to being 85th again, then like Coach Fuller isn't going to be here, right? Like there's no way Mike Norrell can put up with 85th again. You go out, you spend that many scholarships on on quick fix transfers. You have a pretty good amount of athletic talent on defense, at least at most of the spots. DN's nothing special, I guess. D-tackle, starters for salad, I think the, you know, the backups. We'll see. I think you actually have some pretty high hopes for for guys like Jerry and Jones and Fabian Lovett, who have really busted their ass in the weight room this year, I was told. Defense has got to get a lot better. If it doesn't, I think you'll probably see a change. All right, Ben. That'll be it for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, as always. Thank you to our sponsors. If you get the chance to give us five stars on iTunes or whatever other podcasting service you use, know that it's Greatly appreciated from myself and Bud, and uh, we will be back to talk to you next week. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.